a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, and just like that, we are off and running. Today is January 6th, 2021. I only make note of this because I have a sense that uh, this has potential to be a truly historic day. And there's a part of me that really hopes I'm wrong when I say that. I hope that maybe historians footnote this as, you know, interestingly enough, January 6th, 2021, it was one of the most boring days in the history of the United States. And I'd be perfectly content with that. But given the totality of everything everything that's been shaping up uh, with the uh, certification of the Electoral College vote taking place today in Washington, D.C., hundreds of thousands of people showing up to protest the election to, uh, and and I mean, this is on both sides. You've got uh, the left uh, to protest anything that might favor Donald Trump. You've got uh, people on the right protesting uh, Joe Biden and the perception that this, this election was was, you know, monkeyed with from the very beginning. Yeah, there's a lot of potential that we could we could see some real fireworks. And and by <clears throat> real fireworks, I mean like real conflict. I don't say this lightly. It's 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 a scary time. And I'm not going to focus on the scary part so much today as uh, I want to talk about how if there was ever a time to focus on becoming a propaganda-proof individual, This is it. And I say this based on conversations I've had with a couple of different people in the last couple of days. Uh, Most notably, Gary Welch joined me in uh, yesterday's program. And we we had talked about, and I think think Eric Peters had mentioned this too as, as a guest yesterday. None of us can remember ever seeing a time when we have seen a more just bald faced approach to propagandizing us on the part of mass media. It's, it's insane. And I've been watching this for a long, long time. I mean, I first really became aware of the spin and bias that, uh, that is present in media at least 25, probably closer to 30 years ago. And strangely, that's about the time I started listening to Rush Limbaugh, which whatever you may think of Rush Limbaugh, he was dead on when he pointed out the hypocrisy and the, the left-wing bias of much of the mass media back in the early 90s in America. And you can say, well, Brian, he was, he was giving his own spin. And it's true, he was. But the difference is he didn't try to pretend like, oh, well, you know, but I'm being perfectly objective and I'm, I'm just following, you know, the, the journalistic guidelines, you know, that have long guided this profession. No, he told you straight up what he was about. And that's the difference. Right now, we are being force-fed this, this incredible narrative that inexorably seems to lead in the direction of more government power, less freedom, and and it's even extending down to, you know, this is what you can think, this is what you cannot think, the woke phenomenon among us. And, you know, I know it's a radical thing to suggest, but I was not born to be saddled by some politically correct commissar and then ridden about being hit with his riding crop, or Jay's riding crop, I should say, you know, as, as they go around issuing dictates and commands. 
So that means I got to be on my toes. It means you have to be on your toes as well. But the problem is, we've been told what to think. As a people, we have been told what to think for well over a century. And so I want to spend a little bit of time delving into the nature of propaganda. I've got a couple of different links that I'm going to share with you. And and I just, look, you may believe that I'm engaging in propaganda with what I'm saying right now. And I'm okay with that. If you understand that whatever it is I'm telling you is based in a desire to to share the value and and the the primacy of individual rights and respect for those individual rights yours mine even the people who I don't don't agree with even the people who would like to see me caged for my unpopular opinion <laughs> I, I still believe they have rights too but I believe these things matter enough that, uh, you know, I don't care. I'll stick my neck out. I, I'll, I don't care if people want to send me nasty messages. And they sometimes do. Which, by the way, there was a time when it was like, oh, no, someone disagreed. And they swore at me. You know, that would have just, you know, cost me nights of sleep. Nah, not anymore. When I start hitting some real opposition, that's when I'm like, good. This means I'm reaching people who aren't already just in agreement with me. This means that, that my audience is growing or that the, the message that I'm sharing is, is actually getting beyond, you know, the, the comfortable boundaries of the, the church choir loft. And that's good to know. Even if the price is, it means some people are, you know, being kind of dirtbags about it. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's what a lot of us do when we encounter information that we either don't want to acknowledge or we're just not comfortable with. <clears throat> I've been there myself. So I try to treat them with, you know, a, I try to treat them with a little bit of patience, even if they're acting like a dirt bag. And I only use that term because they're, you know, throwing dirty words around as if that that should show you how right I am. You blankety blank, blank, blank and blank. They really do seem to have a penchant for profanity. So we have been uh, told what to think for more than 100 years. And I, I want to recommend that if you haven't looked into Edward Bernays, B-E-R-N-A-Y-S, Bernays, this is the guy who literally wrote the book on propaganda. And you know what's really interesting is uh, his uh, great-nephew, Mark Bernays Randolph, is actually one of the co-founders of Netflix. Huh, kind of interesting. I don't know, maybe... Maybe there was, there was a little chip off the old block or whatever. But people saw Bernays... As uh, this this ninety something old man, you know, back in the back in the eighties, he was on Letterman, and you know, Bernays has been dead for a while. But in this interview, he was sitting there bragging about manipulating people, and the audience just laughed and thought, "Oh, isn't that sweet, this old man?" But if you look at the history of what Bernays did, and and not just Bernays, but the people who took his philosophy and and what he advocated in the book Propaganda, you start to recognize. They've been manipulating people for a long, long time. And here's the kicker. When I say they, I want to be clear. I'm talking about a coalition of power. It's not just the media. It goes well beyond that. In fact, one of the things I'm going to link to is uh, something from Glenn Greenwald. And Glenn Greenwald talks about the, uh, the coalition of power that is force-feeding us its narrative. And he's got this terrific explanation of who's involved, how they're working to deceive and mislead us. Now, Glenn Greenwald's uh, 
his his piece is set against the backdrop of why was it that so many people lined up to condemn President Trump when he talked about it's time to pull our troops out of Afghanistan? And if you notice, among the American people, you don't hear a whole lot of clamor for, you know, boy, it's a good thing we got our guys fighting in Afghanistan and I wish we could send our sons off there. And, you know, when when casualties come home, either brain damaged from roadside IEDs or dead from, you know, helicopter crashes or whatever, you just don't hear people justifying as well, but at least they're over there protecting our freedoms. The only people who really seem interested in keeping that ball rolling are those who are part of that coalition of power. That includes Democrats, that includes Republicans, that includes the national security apparatus. I think Dwight D. Eisenhower would have referred to it as the military-industrial complex. It includes members of the mass media. It includes unelected establishment types. But they have got a tremendous vehicle at their control by which they deliver information and misinformation to us and they are working around the clock to mislead and deceive us. I, I, I'm going to share an excerpt or two from Glenn when we come back from the break here in a moment, but I just I want to use this, this election of 2020 as one of the prime examples of, of how this works. You have to notice that, you know, as soon as there was the tiniest opportunity for them to say, what, this, Biden has a lead here? Boom, the election is over. We have declared it. We've called it. It's done. And then they just insisted, insisted. Every little thing, president-elect, the office of the president-elect. You know, as if we, we need to be coached into, into repeating these mantras of, of this is how you must think. And just the other day, I mean, like within the last couple of days, it was some coalition of, of members of the press who came together and said, we are, we are once and for all calling the election. This is, again, before the certification of the, uh, the Electoral College. Now, just understand, for the record, when the Electoral College results have been certified, and if Joe Biden is, in fact, you know, the one who has received the necessary electoral votes, well, by gosh, at that point, he will become the president-elect. But in the meantime, we've had this incredible, cranked-up-to-eleven Muppet show going on, insisting we have to refer to it this way, we have to believe this, it is the office of the president-elect, blah, 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 and it hasn't slowed down for the last month and a half, almost two months now. So when we come back, I can promise you, you're going to feel uncomfortable. We're going to talk about how we are being manipulated, and you may disagree but I'm still going to encourage you to propaganda-proof yourself, even if it's from my ramblings. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part by great sponsors like Alta Bank. That would be my friend John Staples. And also Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. That's my friend Steve Burgess. These are both wonderful guys, but most importantly, their companies are there to help you if you are in need of, for instance, a mortgage or a refinance, or if you have commercial insurance or need commercial insurance and you're just not sure where you stand. Just go to my show links, or go to my show notes, rather. Links are provided at the bottom of the page that will take you directly to Alta Bank 
or to Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, and you can contact these guys, and I hope you will. If you or someone you know needs what they have to offer, please let them know that their message is reaching your ears and that uh, you are grateful to them for helping to support this program. I know I'm awful grateful to them. So let's talk about propaganda and how the coalition of power that's force-feeding us its narrative consists of a lot more than just mass media. Here's a little excerpt. This is from Glenn Greenwald's article. The mass media serves serve as a system for communicating messages and symbols to the general populace. He says it is their function to amuse, entertain, and inform, and to inculcate individuals with the values, beliefs, and codes of behavior that will integrate them into the institutional structures of the larger society. In countries where the levers of power are often in the hands of a state bureaucracy, the monopolistic control over the media, often supplemented by official censorship, makes it clear that the media serve the ends of a dominant elite. It is much more difficult to see a propaganda system at work where the media are private and formal censorship is absent. A propaganda model focuses on this inequality of wealth and power and its multi-level effects on mass media interests and choices. Greenwald says it traces the routes by which money and power are able to filter out the news fit to print, marginalize dissent, and allow the government and dominant private interests to get their messages across to the public. He says the elite domination of the media and marginalization of dissidents that results from the operation of these filters occurs so naturally that media news people frequently operating with complete integrity and goodwill are able to convince themselves that they choose and interpret the news objectively and on the basis of professional news values. Within the limits of the filter constraints, they're often objective. The constraints are so powerful and built into a system in such a fundamental way that the alternative bases of news choices are hardly imaginable. Now, I really want you to click on the article <clears throat> that I linked to in the show notes from Glenn Greenwald, in which he details the new ruling coalition opposition. And a lot of this has to do with the opposition to, uh, to Trump's attempts to bring the troops home from Afghanistan. But you get a great lesson in how this coalition of power works together to marginalize, in this case, the president, and also to keep their own viewpoint front and center. And the sad part about it is for a lot of people, this is just, you know, if, if you get your news from the mass media, I'm sorry, you know some of what's going on, but you're also being fed a very deliberately incomplete picture that is meant to kept, keep you in the dark or at least keep you from arriving at conclusions that may have you asking questions like, wait a minute, after 20 years, why exactly are our troops still in Afghanistan? I mean, Osama bin Laden's been dead for a long time. Why are they still there? What purpose does it serve? So you ask questions like that, you're, you're likely to get to other questions thrown back at you. Why do you hate America? <laughs> Why do you doubt what your country is doing? And by the way, Glenn Greenwald also talks about how the uh, Silicon Valley giants have become a part of this new coalition of power. Wall Street is another part of it. 
And by the way, he points out something, and, and you got to understand, Glenn Greenwald is not some right-wing, you know, Michael Savage-type journalist. This guy is a journalist in the truest sense of the word. But he points out that uh, the information control that we are seeing from Silicon Valley giants, Wall Street, and the corporate media is significant. He says, I continue to regard the decision of Twitter and and Facebook to block and suppress the ability to disseminate the New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop as one of the most shocking and alarming events of the last four years. Political censorship cheered on by most of the pro-Biden press. So the bottom line is this. There is a battle that's going on for your mind. You knew that already, though, right? You probably wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't suspect that at some level. I just want to reinforce the idea that, yeah, that battle is real. And it's a lot more subtle in in, in many ways than, than we think. Because I hear a lot of good people who I consider, you know, to be awake and aware and, you know, ready to stand and do the right thing who nonetheless still repeat the same shibboleths that, that, that are being disseminated through this mass disinformation system. I'm guilty of it myself, and I'm really careful. I mean, I really keep myself on a short leash. I don't jump on board whatever the latest outrage story of the day is until I've had a chance to really look at things and, and try to, to suss out whether is it to, does, does this add up or is this just you know, something that's being fed to us to get us all you know, a Twitter pun intended. I've had a lot of practice. I've had better than a quarter century of really being on the ball and looking actively for those who are trying to deceive. And I still find myself occasionally getting getting caught going, dang it. It's a tough thing. And here's why. Truth is finite. Truth has limits. Deception has no such boundaries, so it can take a lot of different forms. And and I'm going to come back to something that I have have preached as well as practiced for a lot of years now. There is no one true source other than God that you can turn to to get the unbiased, unvarnished, you know, straight truth. And you don't really want somebody else interpreting it for you. You don't want me. I'm a nice guy. And, and there's some places where I may actually know what I'm talking about. Maybe. But I sure don't have all the answers. So rather than depending on someone else to tell you, hey, this is what it all means. You can trust me. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you straight. The best thing that any one of us can do is to become practiced in being propaganda proof. And you're going you're gonna to probably snicker when I tell you, well, what's the way to do that? How, where do I go to school to get my degree in propaganda proofing? You don't. <laughs> what you do is you invest time in yourself in learning how to think. And the way that you do that is you read things that are above your head. Now, I'm not talking about go get a technical manual on, you know, chemical composition or how to build an oil refinery and go read that and uh, you'll, you'll start being a great thinker. I guess, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt if you're trying to brush up, you know, on engineering or chemistry or things like that. But specifically, <clears throat> I'm talking about crack open the classics, the great books. And, and I'm going to just shamelessly tell you the great books of Western civilization, I think were, were the greatest boon in my quest 
to become a more propaganda-proof person. Not because Aristotle or, or Hume or any of the others included in, in that 54-volume uh, set had the answers to whatever the specific problem was I was facing at the moment. But the way these thinkers outlined the way that they saw the world helped me to better order my own thinking. Not so much so I had at the, the very tip of my tongue all the answers to every question, because I don't. But what they taught me instead was something that is, uh, I think, in many ways more valuable, and that is how to ask the kinds of questions that give you more solid answers or a more clear answer of what you're seeking. Give it a try. The cool thing is it doesn't have to take place in a classroom. You can do this day after day for just a few minutes a day sitting in the comfort of your own home. You just have to be willing to exert yourself mentally. And that's something a lot of people at this point just aren't yet willing to do. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Okay, welcome back. I know it sounds self-serving. I'm talking all about propaganda. But I want you to understand that uh, part of why I'm talking about this is because I really believe that uh, what I am doing, along with a lot of other people, is offering a counter, whether it's a counter spin or a counter platform or just a a countering point of view. I, I shared something on Facebook yesterday and and it goes back a couple of days i just i observed the anniversary it was four years ago that i was sacked from a job that in in southern utah in radio and it was it was a really it was a great gig it was really fun and i didn't uh, i i did not see it coming although as i as i shared in the the facebook post that i shared on it um i was given a warning you know you can call it what you will the universe uh, i I really had this incredibly strong impression that I was going to be let go the following day. So strong that I cleared out my desk, took the stuff home, and told my wife, you're not going to believe this, but I think I'm going to get fired tomorrow. And there was no reason for it. Or at least, you know, there was no reason clearly understood to me. Clearly, management had made up their mind beforehand, but but I, I didn't see it. But I had that warning, and I knew that there was something behind it. I knew there was purpose. And I'll I'll make it a long story short. I had felt for months that as happy as I was and doing my show, I was on the two biggest news talk stations in Southern Utah with with real reach. I mean, it it was a fantastic signal, a fantastic day part, a big growing audience. But I felt that uh, there was something more that I needed to be doing. And if you've ever had that experience where where you you just sense that, uh, you know, there, I, I, there's something that's incomplete here. And it weighed on me enough that, uh, that I took it to God. And I just I said, look, I'm, I'm feeling strongly like there's something more I should be doing with my life. And I want to do that because I think that, I think that sense that there's something more that's expected of me is coming from you, not from the people around me. So what should I do? And it took time. And it, you know, it, it took multiple efforts of going back to God and saying, you know, I... I want to do what whatever you'd have me do, but I'm not seeing it. Can you show me? Well, part of the process of being shown was, uh, look, here's a pink slip. The door is going to close now, and your life is going to change as of tomorrow. And it did. And it was, 
On the one hand, you know, it sucks getting fired. It really does. Wasn't my first time being dismissed from a job, but I had this strange sense of peace and calmness because I had been given that heads up, you know, however you want to call it, spiritually or intuitively, or maybe my limbic system just picked up on nonverbal social cues somewhere along the way. But I knew there was purpose behind it. And, and I, I just recounted briefly in, in my uh, Facebook post about how that led me to work alongside Connor Boyack at Libertas Institute for a year uh, as a development director, which in turn brought me into the orbit of Joe Carey, who I ran into at the State Policy Network's convention in San Antonio back in 2017. Joe Carey in turn approached me and said, hey, we need someone to help uh, provide some coverage of the Bundy trial in Las Vegas, which I did. And that in turn brought me in touch with Kathy Smith and her Loving Liberty Foundation. A couple of years ago, we launched the Loving Liberty Radio Network. And then uh, as that network has grown, I've had the privilege of teaming up with Joe Carey to launch Fed by Ravens Media Network. And here's what's happened. What started out as, oh man, you got kicked to the curb, has turned into the opportunity to build platforms that allow people to speak truth without being fitted for a corporate muzzle or otherwise being limited in their ability to, to speak what they believe to be the truth. I can't tell you how empowering that is. And, and no, I am not financially secure and I'm not famous, but that doesn't matter because I'm part of something that is actually providing an active solution to the problem of being propagandized on a daily basis. And it starts small, but it grows so quickly. I've watched with, with incredible awe at how uh, the Loving Liberty Network, for instance, started, and, and we struggled, and we just, you know, to, to get the, and I'm just going off the podcast listens. Now, they have lots of different hosts and, and lots of different uh, people who listen while, while they're streaming over multiple different platforms, but I watched that go from, you know, the first 10,000 listens to, you know, 50,000 listens to 100,000 listens. Last I checked, I believe uh, they're up over 260, almost 270,000 listens. That's in two years' time, maybe just a little under two years' time, because that's when we started using that particular podcast platform that, that I'm citing. That's remarkable. So I know the need is there. I know that there is, uh, th- there is a coalition of, of concerned people out there Maybe, you know, individual and disconnected and, you know, muddling along, you know, on their own, feeling like they're all by themselves. But they are looking for alternative sources of information and truth that are based in principle, not partisanship. They can look at what's happening around us with, with humor, with kindness, and, and yet uh, with, with insight. And by the way, I'm not taking all that credit to myself. This is, I'm speaking of all the different uh, podcast hosts and different show hosts on the various networks that, that carry my program. They, uh, they have alternatives. And the question now is just, you know, how do we reach those who are searching for that truth? You're obviously one of them who found it. And so if you share that information with your friends, if you let them know, hey, you might want to give this a listen and just see if, if this resonates with you, you know, I'm going to thank you in advance for being, you know, kind enough to open your mouth and, and say something. 
but that's what we're doing. And, and I look back, you know, four years ago where I was, where I was like, okay, now I am looking for what is the, what is the next thing? What, and, and look, I, I, I apologize if it makes people uncomfortable, but, but I got to tell you the the great shift in my thinking was I realized at that moment that uh, my employer is not whoever is signing my paycheck. At that moment, I realized that uh, my employer is and will continue to be, at least for the rest of my life, God. And sometimes my assignment is going to change. And you know what? It's uncomfortable. It usually is uncomfortable when the assignment changes. There's always that, oh, you know, starting over and sometimes ending, you know, a relationship here or ending a a partnership there. And it is, uh, it's not easy. You understand that. But ultimately, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use what I've been blessed with and what I've been able to develop over the course of a lifetime in a way that, uh, that my creator would have me use it. And I'm okay with uh, not being rich and famous. That's really not the goal. You think about it. Those are, those are pretty fleeting things. They're nice. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I'd love to be driving around in a Bugatti. You know, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to know that I have no financial worries whatsoever, but that's not why God created me. And I believe that, uh, you know, my particular personal mission has more to do with speak the truth, speak the truth in a way that people who are searching for the truth will hear it and recognize it and, and be glad to have found, you know, someplace where, where it, it's still being spoken because I have a feeling this is going to get tougher <laughs> in the days ahead. I'm not wishing for it, but I think that's going to be the case. Fame and fortune, yeah, they'd be nice, but they're fleeting at best. Impact is the best way to measure whether your job performance is up to snuff or not. And that's that's how I measure, you know, how, how am I doing? And the boss that I am trying to uh, to keep happy more so even than my listening audience. And I love you for being a part of my audience. And I, you know, I want to, I want you to feel taken care of, but uh, please know my ultimate allegiance and my ultimate goal is to make sure that my creator is pleased with what I'm doing with the gifts I've been given, that I'm using them to their best and highest ability. And I'm sorry to get so metaphysical on you, but um, this has been on my heart and it's because of that, that anniversary and because um, I've just I've had time to to sit and reflect on how utterly blessed I have been over this last four years. The people who have come into my orbit and the influencers that uh, that I am now associating with on a very regular basis. And I'm, I don't mean to you know I'm not dropping names, mind you. It's not like oh yeah, well you know like I was telling the Dalai Lama at lunch the other day. Blah blah blah. Nope. I'm just telling you that uh, I have been moved into a greater circle of influence than I could have been than I could have attained on my own. And I think there's purpose behind it. And so in a nutshell, that is why what I, I do what I do by Brian Hyde. <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks for letting me get that off my chest. I feel better for having shared it with you. When we come back, I'm going to spend a little more time talking about uh, propaganda. In particular, one of the things that I have heard recently, just this week, uh, the New York Times has assured us that uh, any talk about the so-called Great Reset, well, that is nothing more than uh, conspiracy theory. Well, guess what? Ron Paul has a take on it. He says, actually, the Great Reset is about expanding government power and suppressing liberty. 
I think I'm going to consider what he has to say and see how that uh, holds up against what the New York Times is telling me. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back. Let's talk about the Great Reset. Maybe you've heard this term, and I'll grant you, there there may be some people who are uh, touting this term who uh, who are doing so in such a strident way that uh, that you're like, okay, their tinfoil hat may be just a little bit too tight. But um, I want you to hear Ron Paul's take on this. And you, whatever you may think of Ron Paul, um, Ron has been one of the most consistent voices for liberty and for limited government, for proper government um, within my lifetime. You know, the, the, the difference between a politician and a statesman has never been more clear than when I look at Ron Paul and what he was able to do during his time as a congressman. And Ron Paul says World Economic Forum founder and executive chairman Klaus Schwab has proposed using the overreaction to coronavirus to launch a worldwide Great Reset. By the way, that's Schwab's words. The Great Reset is about expanding government power and suppressing liberty worldwide. Ron Paul says Schwab envisions an authoritarian system where big business acts as a partner with government. Big big business would exercise its government-granted monopoly powers to maximize value for, quote, stakeholders instead of shareholders. Now, stakeholders include the government, international organizations, the business itself, and civil society. Of course, government bureaucrats and politicians, together with powerful special interests, will decide who are and are not stakeholders, what's in stakeholders' interest, and what steps corporations must take to maximize stakeholder value. People's own wishes are not the priority. Ron Paul says the Great Reset will dramatically expand the surveillance state via real-time tracking. It will also mandate that people receive digital certificates in order to travel and even technologically implanted in their bodies to monitor them. Included in Schwab's proposal for surveillance is his idea to use brain scans and nanotechnology to predict and, if necessary, prevent individuals' future behavior. This means that anyone whose brain is scanned could have his Second Amendment and other rights violated because a government bureaucrat determines the individual is going to commit a crime. The system of tracking and monitoring could be used to silence those expressing dangerous political views, such as that the Great Reset's violate, Reset violates our God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I want you to remember, Ron Paul is quoting Klaus Schwab, not to, not to the other way around here. This is not Ron Paul who's saying that uh, this, is what, uh, this is what the Great Reset should entail. Schwab is the one saying this. Now, Ron Paul does say the Great Reset involves a huge expansion of the welfare state via a universal basic income program. This can help ensure compliance with the Great Reset's authoritarian measures. It will also be very expensive. The resulting increase in government debt will not be seen as a problem by people who believe in modern monetary theory. This is the latest version of the fairy tale that deficits don't matter as long as the Federal Reserve monetizes the debt. He says the Great Reset ultimately will fail for the same reason all other attempts by governments to control the market fail. As Ludwig von Mises showed, government interference in the marketplace distorts the price system. 
Prices are how information about the value of goods and services related to other goods and services is conveyed to market actors. Government interference in the marketplace disturbs the signals sent by prices, leading to an oversupply of certain goods and services and an undersupply of others. The lockdowns show the dangers of government control over the economy and our personal lives. Lockdowns have increased unemployment, caused many small businesses to close, and led to more substance abuse, domestic violence, and suicide. He says, we're told the lockdowns are ordered because of a virus that poses no great danger to a very large percentage of the American public. Yet instead of adopting a different approach, politicians are doubling down on the failed policies of masks and lockdowns. Meanwhile, big tech companies, which are already often acting as partners of government, silence anyone who questions the official line regarding the threat of coronavirus or the effectiveness of lockdowns, masks, and vaccines. Ron Paul concludes the disastrous response to COVID will be just the latest example, or is just the latest example, of how those who give up liberty for safety or health will end up unfree, unsafe, and unhealthy. Instead of a great reset of authoritarianism, he says, we need a great rebirth of liberty. Hear, hear. All right, I've got two other articles I want to share. I'm going to just touch briefly on uh, on this one from Kerry McDonald. Uh, one of the, the bright things about uh, what's been going on around us, even though it seems really, you know, I mean, the, the bummer factor has been high for several months now, especially with the lockdowns. But something that Kerry McDonald points out is that the lockdowns are also providing us with a marvelous opportunity to teach kids about government and liberty. It's a great object lesson in how children can learn to choose freedom over force and ensure that these lockdowns never, ever happen again. Just a couple of excerpts from Carrie's essay. She says, it's always worthwhile to share the ideas of liberty with young people, but she says, right now, during the widespread government lockdowns, it's more important than ever. In some places in the U.S., individuals are prohibited from inviting family or friends over to their private homes, or if they are granted that privilege, attendance is capped. In still other places, a person could be fined for not wearing a mask, for violating a travel order, or for refusing to cooperate with government contact tracers. Mandatory COVID-19 vaccination has been suggested. Businesses have been forcibly shut down, despite making creative and even costly adaptations to continue to safely serve their customers. Entire industries are being decimated by diktat. And she says all of this is being done under the guise of a public health emergency and all of it is enforceable through government coercion. As economist Friedrich Hayek warned in Law, Legislation, and Liberty, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have been eroded. And once they are suspended, it is not difficult for anyone who has assumed emergency powers to see to it that the emergency will persist. And so she says, now is an ideal time to teach liberty to your children, including why voluntary human action and free markets are superior to government force and intervention, even in, and perhaps especially in, emergency situations. She says one of the ways she explains libertarian principles to her children is to say that government officials should have very limited power over citizens. Indeed, she says, our rights precede government as beautifully articulated in the Declaration of Independence. We are all created equal. 
and all of us are born with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted. So just as I can't force my neighbor to wear a mask, close his business, stay in his home, or take a vaccine, the government shouldn't force its citizens to do these things. Carrie says we can persuade our neighbors to take certain precautions or to choose certain behaviors. For example, we can share information about why wearing a mask or taking a vaccine are good ideas. We can set certain rules for those who enter our homes or businesses, asking that they wash their hands, wear a mask, or stay socially distanced. This allows others to decide whether they want to voluntarily abide by our rules on our private property. Now, they can choose not to visit us or shop at our store. Government officials can also try to persuade us. They can provide information and recommendations, but when they issue executive orders and emergency mandates under a legal threat of force, they go too far. As John Locke once wrote, it is one thing to persuade, another to command, one thing to press with arguments, another with penalties. And Kerry points out here, mandates also may not work as well as voluntary action. Some data suggests that prior to the spring lockdowns, individuals changed their behavior to help reduce viral spread before government mandates were issued. One of the reasons that so many of us are opposed to lockdowns and government orders and have been from the very beginning is that we believe in consent over coercion. We're all fallible. We all lack perfect information. We all have our own self-interest at heart. And this is precisely because of our humanness that power should be decentralized and distributed as much as possible. Now, she talks about free markets and innovation, and, and this is how she concludes. She says, the reality of why we need to deeply and actively teach the ideas of liberty and free markets to the rising generation has become very clear to her in the past year. As she says, I'm sure it also has to you. It's up to parents to do this, as most schools don't, and more, more communities steadily embrace big government policies that erode personal and economic freedom. She says, your kids need to hear this message from you. You can help them choose freedom over force and to ensure that these lockdowns never, ever happen again. Once again, I'll have a link to, to Carrie McDonald's article in the show notes. Take a look at it. If it strikes the right nerve, I would encourage you to share it far and wide. This is a great opportunity. Kids really get a lot from object lessons. And I know my own kids, they've, they've always been pretty partial to liberty. That's kind of, you know, what happens growing up in our household. But I have seen their understanding and applied understanding of liberty grow by orders of magnitude thanks to these lockdowns. This is The Brian Hyde Show.